Right, morning everybody. Can I invite you guys to take your seats so we can get started? Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that <clears throat> when we are strong, we're actually weak. But it's when we are weak that we are actually strong because our weakness is, is overwhelmed, Lord, and it's made strong in your perfect strength. And Father, as we get together today again, as your people in your place that is in Christ, not just in this building, but in Christ, we're so grateful because you made that possible when we were exceptionally weak and incapable of doing that for ourselves. And <clears throat> Father, I pray that today you again help us to appreciate just the wealth, the riches and the blessings that we receive through the promise you gave to Abraham that was brought to us fundamentally through the sacrifice of Christ, his seed. And Lord, as we, as we meet and as we greet and as we talk and as we listen and as we pray, and Lord, as we process your word, we ask that you would encourage our hearts with regards to the life that is to come. Although sometimes, Lord, and probably more often than not, we're overwhelmed by the life which is um, Father, would you give us eyes to see beyond even this life, we pray. Because that life is the real life in a sense that it's out of that world, that realm that this has come. And this is secondary in comparison to that which is fundamental and the more real. Father, help us as your people of faith to see with those eyes of faith. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. And we're hoping that as we go through the Bible, that is exactly what's happening in conjunction with a whole host of other things. We are in the process of doing our Bible overview, and you join with us now um, <clears throat> in week eight, week nine. And, and, and fundamentally, there's two things we're wanting to do in our overview. One, we're wanting to appreciate the fact that the whole Bible is one book. It's one story, Old and New Testament. Not Old Testament, one book, and then New Testament, some next different story. You know, people are often like, oh, I love the God of the New Testament, but boy, the God of the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's actually one God. And um, that's one of the things we're hoping to achieve. And the second thing we want to achieve is we want to remind ourselves that the whole Bible, which is one story, is one story about who? It's about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's a story about, it's a story of God. And any good story, you know what I'm saying, has a fundamental character, you know what I'm saying, a hero. Uh, and, and, and it has a plot line, it has a storyline. And that's what we're trying to chase. That's what we're trying to um, look at as we, as we go through our Bible overview. So today we're in the book of Judges. The book of Judges. And um, how many of you know, well, if you've got Sky, you're probably aware of this because they won't stop advertising it, that this weekend is heavyweight weekend. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know what I'm saying? Like the boxing match last night between Anthony Joshua and some other guy called Klitschko. And uh, I don't even know who won, you know what I'm saying? And I don't care if you tell me, you know what I'm saying? Or, or certain people are, wait, are waiting to watch it later or whatever. I, I never paid for it. I think I paid Sky enough money. I know, you know what I mean? <laughs> But considering this big fight, like, <clears throat> it reminded me of another fighter who's probably the most well-known fighter of all time. Anybody? Samson. Who? Samson, you know. Boy, you look definitely are very holy and spiritual. One says <laughs> Samson, you know. I mean boxer. Boxer. All right. All right. Pro arg arguably... Um, and say, oh, him. <laughs> Arguably, <laughs> it's probably Muhammad Ali. And you probably can't see it very well on that screen. It's a bit clearer on this one. But this is the front cover of um, an American periodical. I can't even remember what it's called. I'm trying to look. There's Sports Illustrated. Thank you, my sister, with your 2020 vision. Um, Sports Illustrated in the States. <laughs> and it's basically got Muhammad Ali on the front cover, you know what I'm saying? And he, you know what I'm saying, all, very often declared himself as the king. He was like, I am the king, like standard. <laughs> and, and we might say that that's arrogant, and I suppose it is. But how many of you know, we all tend to think this about ourselves. 
There's something in all of us that says, I want to rule. I want to I wanna make my own decisions. I don't want anyone to govern me. I don't want anyone to confront me or challenge me. <laughs> no challenges. And uh, we're just not as bold or as brave as, as Muhammad Ali to declare it. Or, or, or we're not honest enough to admit it. Or stupid enough to say it. <laughs> no, not with our lips, but we do with our lives. Communicate that. You know and I'm saying how we live, that we want to be king. And this attitude is typical of Israel in this book called Judges. In chapter 17, verse 6, it says, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit in his own eyes. At that time, Israel has no king, but everyone did as he saw fit in his own eyes. And that's repeated three times, at least, in the book of Judges. And at this point, there is no king. But there's a king coming, which identifies as possibly Samuel that wrote this book, because he knows about the kings, right, who are coming. Um, <clears throat> and, and how many of you know, God was supposed to be their king. And in similar fashion, he is to be ours. Now, God has saved Israel, and he's fulfilled incredible promises to them, like blessing them, and making them a great nation, and giving them their own land. And now instead of being grateful, they turn away from God to begin to serve idols. Now last week we looked at Joshua, right? And um, I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen the Bible Project, but they make a series of videos on each book of the Bible. Absolutely excellent. So amazingly well done. I think it's going to contribute to transforming the church and the understanding of the Bible. I think that series will. It's, 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 and that's an understatement, I think. I see, a couple, I see Pastor E shaking his head and, and over there, Rich shaking his head. <clears throat> Joshua, who after leading the children of Israel into the promised land, as you can see there, called them to be faithful to the God who had blessed them by keeping the covenant commands. That is the Mosaic law, right? Do you remember that? And by doing this, they would show all the surrounding nations what God is like. But then Joshua dies. And that's where the book of Judges begins. And it tells the story of, sadly, Israel's complete, complete and utter failure. That's what you see mapped out throughout this book. The book covers about 350 years. And it's about a thousand years before the coming of Christ, just to give you some historical. What's the word? Orientation, context. Amen. Thank you, my sister. Save me from drowning right there. Wow. <laughs> None of you lot would throw me a life ring. It's all right. No, praise the Lord. Now, the name of this book comes um, from the types of leader leaders that Israel had. <clears throat> Don't think judges, quote-unquote, right? Um, like in the Old Bailey. But think, think more like regional political leaders, like tribal chiefs, um, a bit like a, a, a head of a guerrilla army. And for this book, I'll just warn you before you read it, hopefully this week, there's <laughs> a parental advisory sticker that goes with it because the content is very explicit. Now, Joshua, in some sense, remember that that book's before this one. Joshua, in some sense, could be seen as um, the first judge. You know I'm saying? Although he's not categorized as such, he could be seen as that. Um, and Judges, this book, is sometimes called Judges 2, as in the second part of Joshua, Judges 1. And in contrast to, to Joshua, this book... Joshua, we saw obedience, especially from him and even the people as they followed his, you know what I'm saying, his, his commands. Or his, and, and, and we saw them trusting in the Lord and we saw the power of God displayed. I mean, not least of all in, at Jericho, right? When the walls came tumbling down. But Judges, on the other hand, is identified as, as um, disobedience and idolatry and 
constantly being defeated by their enemies. In Joshua, I'll just highlight a few of these. Um, this is from the Wilkinson and Boa book, again, that kind of helps um, giving snapshots of all the books of the Bible. Again, very, very helpful. Wilkinson and Boa, I think it's called Walk Through the Bible. In the book of Joshua, you see amazing progress, but in Judges, terrible decline. Freedom and liberty in Joshua, bondage in Judges. You see this, you see, um, it, it, uh, uh, it says in, in Joshua chapter 24, um, the people say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. They say, but in Judges, not even three chapters in, it says, So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. And you see this constant comparison between Joshua and Judges. And one is incredibly encouraging and one is terribly discouraging, at least in, the term, in terms of the way God's people are responding to him. Now, it's, it's, it's the tragic tale of Israel's moral corruption and also bad leadership. And how they become no different to the, to the Canaanites. Whom they should, <laughs> who they should have been a godly witness to. This section of Jewish history will take us um, from Israel as a theocracy um, to Israel. Governed by God, you know what I'm saying, kind of fundamentally. Um, to, a, to, to a, a monarchy where they have kings who are going to govern some well and some not so well. I should say most of them not so well and a few of them well. But even though they were good kings, they still failed. <clears throat> now in chapter 1, we see the beginning of Israel's um, failure to drive out the Canaanites. I keep forgetting I've got this remote. And... Essentially, you know what I'm saying, there are these, these, these 12, 12 tribes who have multiplied quite incredibly. Um, the previous generation has died in the wilderness, so this is now the Joshua generation. And there are the 12 tribes, and there's still, even though under Joshua they, they conquered much of the land, there's still much of the land still to be captured. And um, Israel are surrounded by their enemies, that is these, these Canaanites, and, and they failed to drive them out. They failed to drive them out. And, and I suppose it's easy for us to kind of look and say, ah, oh, you know what I'm saying? Israel, man, they flopped. They should have done better than that. Maybe I'll come back to that. Um, but the point is, Israel are to avoid moral corruption, which they don't. They actually start, start, start acting very much like the people around them and begin to worship false gods and even start worshipping those gods through child sacrifice, which is really, I mean, taking their children and putting them on a, a, a bronze statue of Molech, which is, which is, which is what the... And, and there's probably much that could be said about that, at least even with reference to what happens today in regards to how... Children, that is, even babies who are unborn are treated, you know what I'm saying, for financial reasons, sacrificed, as it were. Um, and and, 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 and so, so, one, the moral corruption that had seeped in to the people of God, but also, you know what I'm saying, the fact that they're supposed to be a holy people, you can see it's crossed out. They're supposed to be, again, a people that are like God, separate, distinct, you know what I'm saying, which is what holy means. Instead, Israel adopt the cultural and religious practices of the surrounding nations and begin to emulate them, copy their behavior. In Judges chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, it says, The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons. And I'm saying, and they served their gods. And, and again, just before we, you know what I'm saying, are quick to point the finger at them. Um, <clears throat> our story is so similar. In Ephesians, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, it talks about the fact that we were um, slaves in the same way Israel was slaves to Egypt. We were slaves to this world. We were slaves to the devil. You know what I mean? Um, and yet God set us free in Ephesians 2. For by grace have you been saved. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what I'm saying? God saved us by his grace. Um, but it can be easy for us to get caught up by the surrounding quote-unquote nations. 
by you know, saying those who um, are in that same place that we came from and, um, and where we're supposed to be the light shining and encouraging them to be drawn to Christ, often we can, we can be drawn back into the darkness and I'm saying periodically, and we'll talk about that also in a moment. But Ephesians 4, maybe you can't see, I'll read it. Verse 17 to um, 32 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to, the, due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to, to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on new, the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness, and there's that word, holiness. It just means to be distinct, separate, you know what I'm saying? Verse 25 goes on in Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, which is what we do when we get angry in ways that are not godly. It doesn't mean you don't get angry, but in ungodly ways and allow that to be manifested. In an un we actually open the door to the devil to wreak more havoc. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, and that it may give grace to those who hear. See, remember, the promise to Abraham was that you would be a blessing, you know what I'm saying, to others. You know what I'm saying? That it's like our lives are to be a thoroughfare, like a conduit. God blesses us, and we don't, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're supposed to be a blessing then to others. But the attitude of this world is to get all you can, you heard it before, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can, and poison the rest. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the attitude of the culture. Um, but that grieves God. Verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, chapter one is, you know what I'm saying, is, is dark in Judges. Chapter two <laughs> summarizes now what they call the, the cycle of apostasy. The cycle of apostasy. And, um, and, and this downward spiral is really kind of helpfully identified. And then we'll see it. We see example after example after example in the coming chapters. This downward spiral is such that. <clears throat> That God's people, um, they sin. You know what I'm saying? They're worshipping idols. And then because of that, as a result of that, comes oppression. God allows their enemies to overrun them. And then what do they do? They start bawling in it because of the pain. And they start crying out to God in repentance. You know what I'm saying? And then God mercifully delivers them. And, <laughs> and then they have peace and they have rest. Only to do what again? You know what I'm saying? Like, one of the big dangers in life is actually having everything you want. You know what I'm saying? In Romans 1, it talks about the fact, that's, a part, that's actually a curse. If you have everything you want and you have like, everything the way you want it, that's scary. Because, you know what I'm saying? In Romans 1, God talks about giving individuals over to that which they desire. You know what I'm saying? But if you're going through drama, that's actually a blessing. <laughs> It's actually a blessing because it's when, 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 when you're going through drama, you know what I'm saying, maybe not in, in, immediately and initially, but at, but at some point you lift your head and you're like, Lord Jesus, Lord, Lord God, <laughs> help me. You know what I mean? And <laughs> you're drawn closer to God through your drama. 
But when things are going well, that's the time. You know, so that's that, that is a really dangerous time because you think that everything is cool. Everything is crisp. Everything is nice. And then you get to that point where Muhammad Ali gets to. <coughs> and so this whole spiral, this downward spiral, um, and you know, it's crazy. The Book of Judges, it records seven of these cycles of apostasy. And, um, and you know, we see these cycles in church history. You know what I'm saying? You see a church that starts out in an amazing fashion. Only you know, a little bit later, you know what I'm saying? And it might not be for the first year or 10 years or 50 years. It might take 100 years. And there are a few churches that we could possibly name, you know what I'm saying? Especially big movements. Um, I remember hearing Pastor Chuck once. I think he, he, he warned us when we became pastors and we were ordained up at the York Pastors Conference back in 2003. And one of the things, I don't know if he said it then, but I remember in, the, in that context, I remember him talking about, you know what, a church can easily um, move from one stage of decline to another stage of decline to another stage of decline. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can, a church can start off amazingly, and then in short, sharp fashion, it becomes a bit of a, a museum. You know what I'm saying? So everything's great and things are happening and there's life, growth, things are changing. You know what I'm saying? Like we can say at this point, thank the Lord that we see a lot of that happening here. But we have to be warned because quickly it can become, oh, do you remember when that used to happen? Do you remember when we used to do that? Do you remember when the Lord was moving? You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and that movement initially now becomes a museum. It's just a place where you go to say, you remember when? You remember when? And then, and then that, if, if you're not careful, can move to another place where that museum becomes a monument. You know what I'm saying? And it's, again, it's, 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 it's just another thing that you point at that reminds you of the past. But then the, the real dangerous thing is when that, that monument becomes a monster. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and so these cycles um, we see played out even in church history. Like ancient church history and current church history. So it's a warning to us as a church. But then it's also, you know what I'm saying, we, we, see, we see this cycle in our lives personally. If you've been a Christian just for maybe a week or two, maybe six months, you'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Like me, you're on the mountaintop, like, like cruising at 34,000 feet. Like, hey, you know what I'm saying? Everything's wonderful. <laughs> well, it won't be long before you see this cycle can I get a witness? So now getting back to these judges, right? In chapter 3, you've got a brother named Othniel. Then we have Ehud. Then you have Shamgar. These will be imperfect judges who can only bring about temporary deliverance. Everybody say imperfect judges. Temporary deliverance. Thank you. In Judges chapter 3, verse 31, it says, After Ehud... Oops. My bad. Ignore that. In Judges 3 verse, it does say this in Judges 3 verse 31, it says, After he, Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox gold. It wasn't just Samson who killed a donkey, killed a Philistine with a donkey jawbone. Ehud. And, 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 and he too, the text says, saved Israel. Now you hear that term. He saved Israel. Israel. Now that's an interesting word for the work of a judge. Saving. Now as we go through the list, um, could, could one of these judges be the one that is the one that we've been anticipating? The one who would save God's people from their ultimate enemy. Do you remember Genesis 3.15? The promise of that individual who would crush the head of the serpent, the serpent crusher. The one who, the, the invisible one. Could one of these saviors be the serpent crusher? Now, I, 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 wanna, I, I want you to constantly put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites as we journey through the Old Testament. Just like you do when you watch a normal film. You kind of climb in and you, be, you get with the character and, you know what I'm saying? And um, eight to nine times out of ten. I know they're getting really clever with films now, but most, more often than not, you know how it's going to end. But that don't take away from the fact that you get in there and you pretend like you don't know how it's going to end, <laughs> right? It's, it's all a part of the... And, 
And so I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites. They're like, okay, you know what I'm saying? We've got these individuals, they're coming and, they're, and they are helping us. They're, 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 they're leading us as a judge, but they're also um, um, rescuing us from our enemies. And I'm saying that they're looking at these judges with anticipating that promise. Could one of these guys, well, it, like I said, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't Othniel, Ehud, or Shamgar. <clears throat> and, 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 and the question is, like, who should we focus on? Because there's a lot of judges in this book, and we really ain't got that much time. Um, but, but there's a particular place in the New Testament um, that often is termed as the Hebrew Hall of Faith slash fame. Anybody know where that is? Hebrews chapter 11, right? And it says there in... I thought I was in trouble there. Um, it says, <laughs> verse 32, And what more shall I say, says the writer of Hebrews? He says, For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. All of these individuals are in the book of Judges. Now, <clears throat> it just makes sense that maybe we just highlight those ones, right? So, the first savior or deliverer or, or judge in chapter 4, verse 1 is a man called Barak. And it's really funny because Hebrews references him, but is he really the real deliverer in Israel at this time? Anybody who knows the story? It's not really him, you know. It's a lady. Hey! You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> it's like this section is all about girl power. I'm not even joking. You know what I'm saying? Like, women who are infused with God's power and... Um, and this woman, her name is Deborah, and some pronounce her as... I remember there was this girl who got saved back in the days when we got saved, boy. And she was so on fire. When I tell you she was so on it, she changed her name. She, cha she changed her name to Deborah. <laughs> I'm not even lying. Pastor E. <laughs> so in Judges chapter 4, it's a bit little, so you might not be able to read it, so you can listen. It says, after Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Hear that? So the Lord um, sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was a man called Sisera, <laughs> who lived in, huh, he lived in HH. Verse 3, because he had 900 Iron chariots, listen, 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Now remember, this is, remember, the Bible's one story. You see God handing his people over to this wicked brother for 20 years, you know. They cry, and look, what do they do? They start bawling. Lord, help us. Verse 4, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. You hear that? She is the one that's leading, you know, heavy. It's like, is, is it, I don't, I don't, I, I, you got these fridge magnets, and I think, if I remember rightly, and one, I saw one that said something like, if you're coming, no, is it, you're coming to the house, do you want to see, do you want to see the, the do you, oh. <laughs> Uh, it's something like, if you, who, do you, who do you want to see? Do you want to see, do you, do you want to see the boss? No, do you want to see the man in the house or do you want to see the boss? Something like that. And it's a fridge magic magnet, it's in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? And it's pretty much basically saying like, the woman, the woman in the house is running things. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's supposed to be funny, but... <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think you get the point, right? And that's what's happening here. You go into the kitchen in Israel. You know, who's the real boss? It ain't Barak. It's, Deb it's Deborah. You know what I mean? And it says, verse 5, She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. See, she's judging. She sent for Barak, son of... Ab now watch this. They come into her, right? But notice, verse 6. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedish in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. 
I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. She's a rude girl. You know what I mean? But notice she ain't even trying to take the glory for herself. She's going to mark the army and then she's going to give them over to my man to make him look like he dealt with the matter. Ladies. Married ladies. It's an everyday thing. Oh my gosh. My sister said it's an everyday thing. And you know what? I'm not even hating. I'm not even hating. Hey, my wife is my helpmeet. You know what I mean? I thank God for her. And husbands, you should do the same. You know what I'm saying? And the two make one. You know what I'm saying? We really get out of order when we're trying to start saying it. You know what I mean? Hey, all right, I ain't got time. This is what kills my messages. <laughs> this is. <clears throat> and so, um, verse 9 Very well, Deborah said. Oh, sorry, very Where am I? Barak. Barak said to, to her, If you go with me, I will go. <laughs> but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well. <sighs> These men, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way um, you are going about this, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Hmm. And you probably know the rest of the story. Like I said, this girl power, like on the next level, you got a lady called JL who's in her tent. And you got this Sisera brother who's trying to get away, like the, 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 the whole army is being routed. And he, she, he tries to get away and he sees this tent. It's the wrong tent, bro. Like JL, JL's this woman, she's like, oh, like, like you, you're looking for protection. Hey, come into my tent. <laughs> It's like another Deborah, my girl, and I'm saying because, and again, hence the explicit logo thing. Um, she drives like some kind of nine-inch tent peg through his temple while he, fall, he falls asleep in there. <laughs> she, and she murders him. And I'm saying like this dynamic duo of girl power. And as I already mentioned, it's beautiful. And, you know, I suppose, um, I, remember, I remember us talking about this before um, at, at school. And obviously, one of the things that comes to mind is this whole thing about like males and versus female leadership, you know what I'm saying, particularly as it relates to the church. And <clears throat> I think I would just quickly say, because I suppose it does come up in your mind possibly, uh, maybe if it didn't, um, I'm wasting my time now, I could have used this time more wisely, but now that I've mentioned it, it's, it, it's in your mind, isn't it? Um, but... <clears throat> I would just briefly say, I think women in leadership is the is the exception to the rule. If you had if you had if you had spoken to me ten years ago, I remember going to Jamaica and doing ministry in Jamaica, and it was it seemed like I'm not even lying. And if if you if those of you are familiar with Jamaica, it seemed like at least every other church, if not the majority of the churches that I visited, had female pastors, and if they had a male pastor. He was just a figurehead because all the women were doing all the work in the church. You know what I'm saying? And I remember sitting down in that environment because there's me trying to do ministry in Jamaica and feeling like, this is like some kind of mad uphill battle. You know what I mean? And I, I remember, and it wasn't initially, it was after a few years, I remember feeling like, wait a minute. I don't want to say the Lord said because I didn't hear a voice from heaven. You know what I'm saying? But I felt an impression and it was a bit like, Robert, like, what would you rather? Would you rather have, like, churches in Jamaica that are led by women or no churches at all? Because, the, because, because many of those women are keeping any kind of ministry alive. You know what I mean? And I, and I really changed my, 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 my dictatorial, very dogmatic approach to, like, women in leadership. Never. This is, this is an abomination. That was years ago. You know what I'm saying? And I say that at the same time saying that um, we are complementarian in, in, uh, in this church in that we do believe in male headship and leadership. And, um, but at the same time, you know what I'm saying, there's much room for women to be involved, you know what I'm saying, and even leading in some sense, and, but that's probably a discussion to, to have, at, at, at least in terms of an extensive conversation another time, but hopefully that, that answers the question to some degree. 
And I think this is played out beautifully in, I'm saying, in the New Testament with reference to male leadership as well as here. Because in, in chapter 5, the next chapter, they sing a song. They're so elated. Obviously, they've won this battle. Like, you got, you got Barak and Deborah. They do a duet together. You know what I mean? Um, I, just, I think about some of my favorite duets. One of them is, um, what's my girl's name? Barbara Streisand and Barry Gibb. Guilty. Oi. Oh, we got nothing. And we got nothing to be to hear. Oh, it's, if you don't, I don't know if you know that tune, but listen to that tune. It is, it is actually an incredible song, I'm saying. And um, another, another one of my favorites, I, don't, I, don't, I, I can't vouch for the content, car. My man is probably not the, the best role model. Chris Brown and, and Kerry, is it Kerry? Kerry Super, superhuman. What a ch- like oh, vo- like vocals on another sis. I'm a lion, Beatrice. I'm looking at you, girl. Okay, when it comes to vocals, Sylvia, all right, vocals on another level. So, Barak and Deborah are so elated, they do this duet together right here in Judges chapter 5. You look at it in your Bible, if you notice, the text is very unusual, it's because it's poetry. And how many of you know, songs are poems written to music. You know what I mean? And um, they start singing. And listen to the content. Verse 5. Is it up there? You read it already probably. Verse 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead. Right, don't worry about this, how, how it sounded, right? Drums and bass and whatnot. When the, listen to the lyric. Listen lyrics. When the princes in Israel take the lead. When the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people, praise the Lord. Now she co-writes the song and you hear what she says? She wants to see the princes lead in. And that's, and that's what I, f- I felt it was really helpful for me to learn that. So when I'm in Jamaica now and I see that I'm not quick to judge it, what I'm quick to say is, all right, you're in leadership here as a woman. Can I give you a challenge? Look at Deborah, look at First Timothy, and see how, you know what I'm saying, the potential for you to raise up godly men, you know what I'm saying, who need to take the lead. And I'm saying, all of chapter five <clears throat> is written in poetic form. Now, notice chapter five, verse 31, at the end of the chapter, it says, <laughs> then the land had rest for 40 years. Can you see how these judges are bringing in a rest? But like you said, like I said, it's only temporary. These are imperfect judges who can only bring temporary deliverance. So that's the last verse of chapter five. Now look at the now look at the first verse of the next chapter, chapter six. It says, Again the Israelites, oh my gosh, <laughs> did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The last the last verse of the previous chapter, chapter five peace and you know, everything is, is, is nice. Can you, and, and, and it says, and for seven years then, the Lord then had, he, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Can you see the cycle? Then in verse 11, we meet the next judge. I've got to keep it moving now. The next judge is Gideon. And at the beginning, we see Gideon's call. And, and, and it's, Gideon's a different type of character, and it's really helpful as we see these different characters. Maybe I'll summarize it at the end. Um, Gideon, in chapter 6, again, a big bit of text. I'll just read it. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in, of, in, in, in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiazrite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. He's, guy, he's, he's like a farmer, you know what I'm saying? He's, if anything, what he's not is he's not a military leader. You know what I mean? He's not a warrior. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, <laughs> which is really, you know what I'm saying, very threatening. But Sir Gideon replied, because he's far from that. But Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You ever find yourself asking that question? Or well, sometimes, like I said last week, you need the backstory. You need the bigger picture. You know what I'm saying? Because we can easily begin to ask questions like this in a very unfair manner. And in two twos, we begin to, we begin to draw conclusions that are not righteous. You know what I'm saying? 
He's like, um, yeah, what's, going, what's happening here? Um, where are all his wonders and God's wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? And you could, you could be like, like Gideon, man, like you obviously don't really know much. Like your parents never told, not, never taught you the Bible because there's so many times apart from that time that God did bring deliverance and one just quite recently in your history, actually. You know what I'm saying? And did not, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord, the Lord, it's amazing because in verse 11 it says the angel of the Lord. Now it says the Lord turned to him and said, it seems like this angel of the Lord is a mysterious individual. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and what? Save Israel. Save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So we see Gideon called by God. And then next, and I won't read it because it's quite lengthy. Next you see Gideon is unusually obedient. Because remember, at this point in time, everybody is only doing what is right in their own eyes. Right? So this is quite unusual. It's a bit of a, um, a surprise in the text, if you like. Do you know what I'm saying? And basically, what Gideon does next is he goes and he knocks down his dad's altars. You know what I'm saying? He does it at night because he's shook, right? But he does it nonetheless. You know what I'm saying? And then um, he, he, and he seeks this confirmation from God, doesn't he? And, and he lays out, and he's assured by God by, by the wetting and then the drying of the fleece, right? And Gideon gathers together a 32,000 man army. And God says, Oi, like 32,000. Remember, remember, they were only 70 people when they went into Egypt. Now, you know what I'm saying? Now they've got a. A 32,000 man army. And God says, you know what? Boy, that's a good looking army, you know, but it's too much. <laughs> and the funny thing is, they're nowhere near enough to fight the battle that they got to fight. But the Lord's like, no, they're too many in number. And Gideon asked those who are fearful and trembling in the army, <laughs> which is 22,000 of them, to go home. Two thirds of the army leave. And God says, you know what? Mm still too many and the remaining soldiers are tested down by the riverbank right and and those who put their hands to their mouth as opposed to lapping like a dog they pass the test and there's only 300 of them left right 300 i resist the temptation in judges chapter 7 Verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that, that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. And, and the question that comes up as you read this is, wait a minute, who's doing the saving? You know and I'm saying you read in, in the Old Testament times, you know what I'm saying? God came, uh, sorry, the, yeah, God came against this set of people. And then it says the devil came against this. Like, who is it? <laughs> Here we see this, a similar thing. You know, the Lord saying, I will save, but then he says, You will save. He says, let all the other men go, each to his own place. The end of chapter 7 illustrates how Gideon and this small guerrilla force thwart the Midianites without hardly drawing a sword. So they fight, but obviously it's not them fighting. The Lord is fighting on their behalf, isn't he? Just in this, just in, 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 in this story about Gideon, right? <clears throat> there, are, there are six references to God saving his people. Temporary deliverance through imperfect judges. Now watch the same sinful cycle come full circle again, not long after. Judges chapter 8, next chapter. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. There's something about these judges, even those who are good and used by God. They've got limitations, haven't they? And what's the limitation? Death. You know, thank you again for praying for me. I was at a, my, my cousin's funeral just on Friday. Um, it's been a tough week, you know what I mean, in, on a number of levels. And I was involved in the ceremony. You know, thankfully, it wasn't a very heavy part, but 
I remember standing. It, it was a, a Kojic, which is a Pentecostal church, Church of God in Christ, that's what it stands for. Massive building in Luton. Like, Pastor E, like, they got this cinema. It seats, it seats about 5,000 people. And it needed to, because the whole of the downstairs was rum at my cousin's funeral. And I'm standing there on, at the pulpit next to the bishop, who's done a great job. I'm standing there, and I'm looking out at this sea of people over my cousin's casket. She's, she was 28 when she died. She was, and the story is she was pregnant when she died, and it was, it was, a, um, it was neglect on the, base, on, the base, on, on the part of the hospital. It's all a really sad story, but I'm standing there, and I'm looking out, thinking about all of this, you know what I'm saying? And it's crazy, and, it's, and you'd be like, it's a no-brainer, but I was just reminded that, you know what? Every single person in that auditorium, one day is gonna end up in that same predicament, including me. And I tell you, my, my, my finiteness, you know what I'm saying, was so apparent to me. It was so apparent, even to the point where I prayed. It, they had it run a funny way. I prayed, and then I was supposed to read Psalm 91, and I prayed, and I said, Amen, and I turned and walked off the stage. <laughs> but it was all right. It was a bit lighthearted, and I came back, and I read Psalm 91. And I'm just saying that <clears throat> these judges, as helpful as they were, they were finite. And when they died, everything again went to pot. It seems like, because it happened so repetitively, it seems like the text is saying, we need a savior. We need someone who's going to rescue us, but we need someone who ain't going to die. Because <laughs> that's a problem. Now, <clears throat> now between chapter and chapter 10. Did I read verse 33 and 34? Did I? No sooner had Gideon died than it, oh, I, I began to read it. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the bells. What a, what a, what a verb to use. Prostituted themselves to the bells. They set up Baal Berith as their God and did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Lord, help us never to forget who you are and what you've done in our lives and begin to give the glory to worthless idols. Between chapter 8 and 10, we skip over a few more unhealthy cycles of apostasy Fast forward to chapter 11, we come to Jephthah. Mm. Jephthah, right, no more stories, right? Up against the Philistines and the Amorites, the Ammonites this time, Jephthah, unlike Gideon, was a seasoned warrior. He's a, like, but, but possibly an unlikely candidate, <clears throat> given that his mother... It's funny that we just mentioned it. His mother was a woman of the night. Jephthah's mum was a prostitute. And we got this mad baby mama drama. In chapter 1, I'll just read it. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah right, away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said. Because you are the son of another woman, baby mama drama. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of, of adventurers, says the NIV, <laughs> the ESV says worthless um, fellows, they gathered around him and followed him. So as time passes by, here come the Ammonites and the elders of the city come looking now for Jephthah because they need someone to lead because things are going pear-shaped and he's a warrior. So after extensive discussion, he agrees, becomes Israel leader, and begins political talks with the enemy. Not being able to come up with any kind of diplomatic peace solution, war is declared and Jephthah seeks the Lord, but he makes this rash decision. You may have heard the name. I'm not sure if you remember what he did. He makes this rash, uninformed promise to God in return for victory over his enemies. 
and he basically says, Lord, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, he says, I'll sacrifice to you the first thing that comes out of my front door. The first thing that comes through the gate. If you give me victory, I'll sacrifice it to you. And guess who comes running at the gate when he gets home? His daughter. It's, it's, a, really, it's, it's a really sad story. You can, you can read it. And just on the back of that, we've referenced it. I mean, there's a warning in there. <laughs> you know, I think a part of it was, you know what I'm saying, the Canaanites used to do that. To appease their gods, they'd make these sacrifices. And I think it was a little bit like that. It was like a trade. If you do this, God... If I do this, do this for me. You know what I'm saying? We can't play those games with our God. You know what I mean? But this, hence the Canaanite influence, the Ammonite, the, 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 the ungodly influence. And, you know, we also must be encouraged not to make rash decisions. You know what I mean? I don't know if you've ever heard this in Ecclesiastes 5. I mean, we did Ecclesiastes. I can't remember we did chapter 5. But listen to what it says. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do, not know, know, who do not know what they are doing. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on, on earth, so let your words be few. I, think I can feel a song coming on. Verse 3, as a dream comes when there are many cares, you know when you're going through drama, you tend to dream a lot. So the speech of a fool when there, <laughs> when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. You know what? It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Next, we have a few other guys, Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon, who judge one after the other, bringing us to chapter 13, and we're going to end on this individual character. Probably the most famous character in Judges, who is, he was mentioned earlier, Samson. Um, I think, did you say, have I got five more minutes? Have I got ten, ten more minutes left? Praise the Lord. Let me just try and finish this now. So in Judges 13, it says, and again, notice, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So, you know what's coming. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines this time for 40 years. It's amazing, you know. You think, oh man, boy, God's harsh. But that's mercy. God could have done with them completely. He said it was, the fact that it was 40 years is mercy. <laughs> a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile, says the NIV, or she was barren. She couldn't have children, right? And she remained childless. Verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. What wonderful words that must have been to her. Now see to it, though. <laughs> now see to it, though, that you... That, that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth and he will bring the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. How many of you know this son is going to be a great blessing to Manoah? You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, how many of you know this son is going to break the heart of her parents. Miraculously, according to the word of the Lord, Manoah and his wife conceive and have this miracle baby called Samson. You know, throughout the Bible, there are loads of miracle babies. You know what I'm saying? Remember, Sarah was barren and she had Isaac. It was actually that story that helped me to see my wife's barrenness and get on my face before God. Whereas before, I was like, oh, you want to have a baby? Oh, just chill, man. It's all right. We've only been married a few years. It will come. And this time, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't want no kids right now. But I never said that, you know what I'm saying? And then I tell you, the Lord crushed me through the whole process of that. It's funny because in one sense, the Lord was working in my heart, my wife's heart, you know what I'm saying? But he, was also, he also used that circumstance to work in my heart, you know what I mean? And I ended up on my face with her in tears, bailing out to the Lord, 
you know what I'm saying, um, like Isaac. I think it was Genesis 25, 22 or 22, 25, one of those verses, I'm not sure. But it literally says, and Isaac cried out to the Lord for his wife and um, Rebecca, and God opened her womb. And um, I just say that because um, I'm try- I want to encourage, you know what I'm saying, our, our, our sisters who, are, you know, who, and we have a few here who are barren, um, or, or, or who have not yet conceived and had children, uh, I just want to encourage you because God's got a bigger plan, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and also encourage um, the husbands, you know what I'm saying? And encourage you to pray for, for you know what I'm saying, for children, but for your wife, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's amazing how God will use that difficult circumstance to work something in you, you know what I mean? And at a certain point, you know, I heard, I tell you, I heard Tim Keller tell a story that absolutely blew my mind. Because it's a story that says, in case that doesn't happen, you know what I'm saying? That is, you would, you would, you would have children. God's plan is such that if you die and go to heaven, you know what I'm saying, as a couple and you never have children, this story, he told this story and he says, he says, sometimes, have you ever had a nightmare, like a really, really bad dream? You know what I'm saying? And you have a really, really bad, I mean, it's an, it's, you, and in the dream, everything is going wrong. And then you wake up and you think, oh, oh my gosh, it was just a, you have, you, amen, you know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, Lord, I'm so grateful that that was just a dream. You know what I'm saying? And you wake up and, and consider, and it was just a bad dream. One of the things I heard Tim Keller say was, because of the resurrection and what the Lord Jesus has done, when we actually go home to be with him, everything we look back on that was really difficult in our lives will just be like waking up from a bad dream. And you look back on all of that and you'll be like, oh, thank God that I'm actually living in a different reality to that which I've experienced, albeit in a life that feels very, very real. Such is the reality of that world that is promised, that world that is to come. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Rebecca is also barren. It's crazy. Sarah, then Rebecca, but yet she has Jacob. Even a man who wrote um, this book was a miracle baby. That's Samuel, remember, whose mother was Hannah. And in the New Testament, we have Elizabeth, who was barren. She has, imagine, John the Baptist. That's incredible. It's like God has got a plan, you know. And that baby, John the Baptist, he has to come along at only at a specific time. <laughs> And, 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 you know, some, and often our time ain't God's time, you know what I mean? But she has that child, and then obviously Mary has the most miraculous birth out of all of them. So Samson's born, <clears throat> and his birth is divinely pre-announced. Does that remind you of someone? Samson means sunshine, and, and, and it's appropriate, especially during this time of Israel's darkness. Samson was born a Nazarite, which means he was separated, he was distinct, not to be like any other men because he's going to be a leader. He's going to be a judge, a deliverer. This meant <clears throat> he wasn't to drink wine or fruit of the vine. He couldn't go near a dead body or dead human or a dead animal, and he couldn't cut his hair. Now, though he's set apart for special service to God, there's a problem because Samson ignored his Nazarite vow of godly devotion and relied upon his own strength and his abilities rather than upon God's. And, although, and it's funny how God's grace worked in that man's life. You know what I mean? God gave him that strength that he had. And even though he took it for granted, God was so gracious to him. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> God was the one who was empowering him with that supernatural strength. And, <clears throat> and then his weakness brought him down. His weakness for Philistine women. You know what I'm saying? That did him in. His passion for women was more important to him than God's expressed will. In chapter 14, Samson, he gets married to a Philistine. And in Judges 14, it says, Samson went down to Timnah, and you hear his attitude, you hear his arrogance, you hear his Muhammad Ali type. He says, at Tim, as he went down to Timnah, Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah now. Get her for me as my wife. 
Are you going to talk to your mum and dad like that, bro? Verse 3. Boy, I would have never got away with it. My mum would have shot me a box. Verse 3. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman? They're, they're much more gracious. Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Didn't you hear what I said? Get her for me. For she is, notice, she is right in my eyes. You hear that subjective morality? You know what I'm saying? And it's, and it's, 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 it's it just like the Canaanites surrounded Israel. We're surrounded by that mentality. You know what I mean? Let me do me, you do you. I won't get in your, I won't get in your face for doing you. You know what I'm saying? Although that's not true. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want you to get in my, fa in my face telling me how to do me. But when we as Christians start saying the things that we say, there's uproar in what is supposed to be a tolerant society. And everyone's tolerant until it comes to Christians and everyone's intolerant <laughs> when they're saying that we all need to be tolerant. My man's like, she's right in my eyes. And he ends up having drama with his wife, um, who ends up eventually with his best man. More drama in the Bible than in Coronation Street. Samson goes back to his father's house and Samson defeats a Philistine troop in chapter 15. You'd be like, after the man acts like this, the Lord still gives him grace and power. There's a, there's a, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a warning in there for us, isn't there? You can uh, like, take God's grace for granted, isn't it? But there's going to come a time. Samson, <clears throat> he wipes out this Philistine troop after God empowers him again. In chapter 16, Samson goes to Gaza, which is, in, which is Philistia. And we know that place on the map in Israel, Gaza Strip, right? Gaza. And sleeps with a prostitute. The guy is, is it at all? I don't know. The Philistines then are hatching a plan to get him. And then in steps the secret weapon, you know. Now Deborah, we talked about, was the first woman that we mentioned earlier. There's another woman in the book and her name also begins with D. Delilah. <laughs> her name has gained great significance over the years, right? Deborah was a faithful woman. Delilah is the complete opposite. Samson is then brought down by his weak Achilles heel. You know, an unguarded strength becomes our greatest weakness. And his eyes end up getting gouged out. He's bound and he's now literally working for the enemy, blinded. His end was horrible. And he's grinding in their mill. And this <clears throat> the sun in Samson's life stops shining. And so, <clears throat> a multitude of judges, rescuers, or saviors, but all imperfect and finite because they die. And this is where this book points so wonderfully, as we said, we're, we're trying to say all of the books in the Bible point to Jesus. This is where this book so wonderfully points to the ultimate leader, the ultimate rescuer, the ultimate savior and judge. And at the beginning of this book, as we wrap up, it says, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. As long as the judge lived. Israel were helped. The problem is that none of them had this eternal life. But there would be one judge that would come when he eventually comes, would live and judge forever. Second Timothy 4 verse 1 says, Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. I'm going to invite the, 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 the praise team to come and join me. Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Can you see how the book of Judges, with these imperfect judges, these finite judges, points ultimately to the ultimate judge, who is the Lord Jesus. Let me pray. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. Father, this is two, three thousand years ago. Three thousand years ago. Yet there's nothing new under the sun. Lord, there are still individuals who go around thinking that they are their own king. 
And Lord, it's not surprising when people who don't know you act in this fashion. But Lord, it's, it's really sad when your own people begin to act like this. When your own people begin to act like there is no king, there is no God. And begin to worship idols. Lord, back in those days, idols were made of metal. And we got loads of, we got loads of metal idols, like cars. Lord, we got loads of, loads of idols made of bricks and mortar like houses. And Lord, we got idols that walk around like that desired spouse, male or female. And Lord, really, all of these images that we worship contribute to the, to the, actual, the actual ultimate worship, which is of ourselves. We only have these things because of what they, what they give to us, how they benefit me. And um, Father, we ask that you'd forgive us. Father, that we wouldn't live our lives as we see fit. But Lord, as you see fit, Lord, that we would see you as king, that you would be, not, not Muhammad Ali, Lord, not me, that you would be the one who wears the crown as king. And it's so amazing because you're such a good king. You're such a humble king. You, you're the only one who deserves to be the king. And Father, Jesus as God came to earth. And the Bible says he humbled himself. As the king, he took off his crown, put his scepter to one side. And he came to earth. And if that wasn't humiliating enough as it was, becoming a man, what God Almighty who created men, if that wasn't enough, he then went to the cross and he died a horrendous death, a very, very embarrassing death, hanging there naked on the cross. And that not for himself, but for us. Isn't that good reason for us to abdicate the throne of our lives and to allow, allow Jesus to be the king? And he deserves it because he is the one who lives forever. So he can save. He can rescue us properly. And he needs to rescue us. And that from himself because he then is also the judge. That all of these other judges typify but fell short of. And Jesus is going to judge. So Father, we do need to repent. We need to, do need to ask you to forgive us. For allowing... <laughs> how cheeky is it of us Lord to sit on your throne? And act like we're the king. You're the king. Please, Lord, would you take your place in our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.